Welcome to our Grandparents' Teachings, a storytelling program hosted by Chuck Miller in collaboration with the Sitka Tribe of Alaska, Art Change, and KCAW. This storytelling program will help keep Clinkett stories alive through community education. Join us the first Tuesday of every month from 7 to 8 p.m. as we celebrate the rich cultural heritage of this land. Everyone, welcome to our grandparents' teachings. This episode will be focusing on the Sitka Native Education Program and the beginnings of it and what they are doing currently today. We have special guests with us in our studio will be Miss Lillian Young and Mr. Larry Garrity, who are original Gajahin dancers from when it first began in 1974. The late Isabella Brady, Yeti Kuka, is the one who designed and got the program off the ground with the help of our local elders. I'll mention their names, Katak, Charlie Joseph Sr., his wife, Anya Lachtla, Annie Joseph, Kasanak, Annie Dick, Kachitla, Elizabeth Basco, my grandmother, and Sehingitla, Emma Duncan Davis. And that's just to mention a few of the people that began that program in 1974. It is currently still running today, and I hope that you enjoy our, our focus on the Sitka Native Education Program. This next audio clip that you'll be hearing is from the archives of Sitka Native Education Program. In the very beginnings of the program, in around 1974, this is audio footage of the late Kha'at Charlie Joseph Sr., Yedi Kuka, Isabella Brady, and Kauduk Etla, Vida Davis. They are talking with Charlie uh, about how things are going to be laid out in terms of songs and dances with the young people. It's very unique to hear all of them talking, and at the very end you will hear... Isabella, thank him for his teachings, and then also he emphasizes that his hour and a half is up. Uh, I hope you enjoy this audio clip. <laughs> what about all these songs that the kids are doing? Do you have some other songs you think they yeah. should be doing? 
Well, I don't know. Them. We only give them a four songs through teaching them. They're teaching them. Mm -hmm. I can't. I can't tell them, and I don't know how they're going to do it. I don't understand. In our way, that we are the natives. Now, if they start with the canoe song, they won't come come through the door. But if they do a dance in a different dance, they have to come in through the door from outside with the song and dance. But this way, they can just stay up on the porch and have the curtain on the front. And then when they're ready, why they open it for them. And this Yekote. That's what you fellas call Shakiat. No. Yekuti. That's what we call it ourselves. That's doing on our parties. At the last it come out that that. See? After we got all the money out to pay the people that we invited. And then we put our grandsons or granddaughters out on the front of the money. Of course, we're going to give some names. The thing that we make, we're going to call it from that. And we're going to give them a name for it. Then we we'll put put the shikiat on and then start the songs. Oh, 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 right in front of the, right in front of the, the money, the dance. That's our, our doings. See, that's the way we used. After they got through dancing, then we give them a names. That's lots of ways. You wouldn't understand it. I know. <laughs> There was a certain song from the beginning, and that's the last song for the end of the party. <laughs> they did everything in a manly order. Our time is hour and a half. It's uh, one hour and a half. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Charlie. Next, we have a song that was owned by the Chukunedi clan, the Brown Bear tribe. Uh, their ancestor, Ichtishan, uh, was the one who composed this song uh, when their family had a fish camp out at what is now known as Old Sitka. Our people refer to it as Qajahin. This song was one of the main songs that was taught to the young people back in the early days of Sitka Native Education Program. And so basically it's almost like a an anthem, if you will, for the dancers itself, because they were referred to at one time as the old Sitka dancers. And then Grandpa Charlie changed the name to Qajahin, which is the name of the Stargavin River there. Their ancestor composed this song when he was out hunting, uh, providing for his family uh, out in his canoe. And he ended up in a very, very big storm where it wasn't allowing him to come home. And he was afraid he was never going to see his homeland of his uncles ever again. He thought he was going to die, so he composed this song. In the first verse, he says, For a long time now, I have given up hope of seeing my maternal uncle's land, for I am going to the other world beyond. 
In the second verse, he says, It was my raven of long ago who loved this old Sitka. If I die there, I will not feel so sad. He did make it home, and that's why the Chukunedi use this as their happy song. The people you will be hearing singing on this episode are the late Charlie Joseph Sr. and also the staff that he worked with at that time. Enjoy. Ha ha 
Welcome everyone to Hashlit Kohas Ha'it Aushlit at our grandparents' teachings. We have a special guest in our studios today, and uh, I'd like to welcome all of our participants that will be uh, speaking about the Sikh Native Education Program and the beginnings. Our first guest is Mr. Larry Garrity, and I'll turn it over to him and welcome him to our studio. Thank you. My Lincoln name is Kitchenoff. I've been with the dance group back when it first started in 1974. Um, Isabel Brady's uh, had a thought of putting this together, and uh, I was fortunate enough to be here. I've known Larry since I was very young, and I refer to him affectionately as Sensei, and he affectionately refers to me as Grasshopper, because when we were growing up in the program ourselves, I was always the little mascot that they took us on all the trips on, and uh, Larry was pretty much my uh, mentor, and I hung out with him, and everywhere he went, I went, and so... We have a, a very, very unique bond, and we still have that bond today. As Larry said, he said that he grew up here in Sitka with the Sitka Native Education Program, which started in 1974 with the direction and guidance of our elders, uh, the late Kashat, Charlie Joseph Sr., his wife, Anya Nakhla, Annie Joseph, uh, my aunt, Annie Dick, Kasanak, and my grandmother, Elizabeth Basco, Kachitla, and Emma Duncan Davis, and of course, we don't want to forget the late Isabella Brady, who was the one who kind of guided and directed and got the elders together and found the purpose of why they're going to found it for our younger people and our generation that's coming up. From what I understand, Larry, with the program, Grandpa had seen, we were affectionately referred to as Charlie Joseph Sr. as Grandpa. Everybody that grew up in the program called him Grandpa and still call him Grandpa. But he noticed there was something wrong with our younger people at that time. The young people's heads were being down. He noticed something was very wrong. And they felt the need to share the old ways, the Tlingit ways, the old customs, the songs and dance and the legends and the history. And everything that he had learned growing up, he wanted to share that. And so the elders got together, from what I understand, and they brought this idea. And Isabella was a part of that. So... Maybe you can walk us through and what you remember and how that first formed and, and and what this program means to you. Well, when I was uh I was in the fifth grade and and they came to school with uh, papers asking, and they handed them out and asking the kids if they wanted to join the native dance group, and I brought it home and I told my mom I was like I want to join and went and talked to my grandma because you know back then there was no dance group for for young people. You know, I would show up and watch, you know, the Cross Mountain Dancers or the Kogwantan group, but there was no group for, you know, I'm a Deshita and we didn't have a group here in Sitka. 
So I was really excited to be able to finally dance. And so we got me signed up and our practices back then were in the evening from seven to nine, nine thirty sometimes. And so when we would show up, they would split us up into into different age groups inside the A and B. And uh, they'd ask who wants to be a dancer and who wants to be a drummer. <laughs> and it's kind of funny now to think back then that they were separating to see who wanted to do that because as the group got going, everybody started to get a little bit of everything when they were younger. But I wanted to be the drummer and the lead singer. And as it went on, we weren't able to do that because we started off with around 24 boys at the beginning of the school year. By Christmas time, we were down to six. By springtime, we were down to just two boys. (laughs) And so when we got ready to go on our trips, there was only two of us boys that were in the dance group left. So I wasn't allowed to drum anymore. (laughs) And so they said, well, we only have two boys. You two have to dance. So (laughs) it was really difficult at the beginning um, in the dance group because... Nobody had seen anything like this. Mm-hmm. So we were getting a lot of negative comments, not only from outside the Native community, but within the Native community. Nobody had ever seen anything done like this. So, you know, change is always hard. Mm-hmm. So some of our elders weren't happy that Charlie and Isabella were doing this. There was a lot of meetings at the A&B Hall. And it went back and forth. Um, I give a lot of credit to Isabel for pushing and getting this started. But I think Charlie, in his ways of being able to talk and do conflict resolution, he never got mad. He never raised his voice. He would sit and listen to every elder that spoke their piece about what they thought. He would listen to them, and he would nod his head, and he would think about it. And he would take his time, and then he would get up and speak and tell them why he thought they were wrong, basically, and why we should go forward with our dance group the way it was going. And it was it was difficult at times, because even when we would travel to Haynes, the Haynes elders weren't happy with us, or any other the communities that we went to. They, we had elders that weren't, and Charlie did every time. He would take his time, he would talk with them, and by the time Charlie was done talking... Most of the elders were like, yes, this is a great idea. And then when they would listen to the dance group, a lot of the elders thought we spoke Lincoln because we sang so well. We pronounced the words so well. And I have to say this. I'm not a good singer. (laughs) I used to think I was. (laughs) But the girls quickly reminded me over and over again that I was not a good singer and that I should just... You know, lip sync, and the girls sang the song. But they did it such a good job that our elders thought all of them were fluent speakers. Wow. And uh, it was pretty amazing to look back at how much we learned. Because nowadays, you see dance groups, they may do one or two series. Well, when I was in the fifth grade, sixth, seventh, eighth grade, we'd do five or six series in a night. We would do the whole production in one night, dancing, singing, drumming. We didn't have any help from our elders. We were all self-sufficient to do the dancing and singing. And Charlie was such a good and patient teacher for me because I was a pretty hyper kid, and I had a hard time sitting still. So he kept me busy and kept me moving and learning because I always wanted to learn more. I always wanted to learn more. 
and he was always showing me a little bit more, a little bit more, you know, and as you know, I taught the drag. That was one of the last things he taught me before he quit um, demonstrating, before he couldn't dance anymore, was he taught me the drag. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And, and so he just kind of built us up dancing until we got to that point, and then he taught us how to do the drag. So I give a lot of credit to Isabel, but I also give a lot of credit to Charlie just for his patience, not only with the elders in the community, but with the uh, with us children, because a lot of us were pretty uh, <laughs> hyper, and, and some of us didn't come for really good home life, so we didn't have a lot of structure. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And coming into a program that was really structurized by Isabella, <laughs> she was really structured on our trips and, and what we did for practices. Thank you for sharing. Larry. Uh, we appreciate what you have to share. We'll ask you more questions, I think, regarding Sikh Native Education Program. We also have our other guest here in our studio. I'd like to welcome her here, my clan sister, Lillian Young. Welcome. <laughs> I am the daughter of the late Albert Nielsen, Sr., and my mother is uh, Dostia Ethel Mackinnon. She's 90 years old, one of our last fluent Tlingit speakers, and I am the granddaughter of Charlie Joseph and Annie Joseph. Charlie is the one that gave his knowledge to the Sick Native Education Program, so that's a very proud thing for me. And growing up in the program, was an amazing experience and something we never really thought about, you know, until we were later adults going, whoa, wish we would know now what we knew then. As I was talking with uh, Larry Kachinach, uh, he was sharing with our listeners about the importance of Sikh Native Education Program that started back in 1974. And of course, back then, since we all grew up in the program, from what I understand, it was referred to as A&B Education Program when it first began. And the dancers were called Old Sitka Dancers. And then Grandpa Charlie changed to Tukajahin dancers. That's a little bit of the history of the Sikh Native Education Program, and it's still going strong today, but uh, I asked Larry, like, what are some of your memories of the program? Why do you think it was started? Why was it important to you? If there's some things that you really want our listeners to know about the Sikh Native Education Program, feel free to share that. When we were growing up, we had so many elders around us. Never, ever did we realize what wealth we had surrounding us as kids and back then it, you know I think that's what we gained was our the elders being around us and being kind of hard with us and and teaching us you know discipline and and teaching us the culture and I talked about how growing up it wasn't just the culture but also life lessons we we learned so much more than just our culture and golly if we could go back to those times, we just never even knew what we had. Learning the songs and the dance and the drumming and the beadwork and uh, regalia making and on and on and on of the different things that we learned, we just did not realize what we had. And I would not take back any of that that we experienced growing up in the program. It was just immeasurable. And it, it came from, you know, my mom, Ethel, Dostia always told me many, many times, 
Anytime I would speak, be sure to mention Yedi Kuka, Isabella Brady, because she had a vision, and it was from that vision and Grandpa's knowledge that grew this program. And so, like I said, made, I don't know, I don't even know if we could say how many students we had, but we had lots and lots of kiddos that went through the program and are still doing it to this day. Of course, you know, generation to generation, it has changed, but, and we don't have the elders like we had before. We don't have the teachers that we had when we were growing up, but... And then a lot of what we went through when we were growing up in the program is uh, traveling, sharing our knowledge all over the world from Washington, D.C. to Hawaii to the villages in Alaska, all over Alaska during AFN, during um, Fairbanks um, Festival of Native Arts. Festival of Native Arts and uh, World Eskimo Indian Olympics. World Eskimo Indian Olympics. And uh, we. Funny, I went to Washington, D.C. when I was really young, but I also went when I was a senior in high school because that was the year they featured Alaska. So they had artists from Alaska, which was from Sitka, surprisingly, but they had World Eskimo and Olympians during that time. They were doing a totem on site in Washington, D.C. Our Bajahin dancers were performing several times a day can you imagine in the heat but we we did have a tent over us but and we were young you know we did it different different times of the day did performances and and then i believe it was we spent a couple weeks there and then went on to hawaii after but all of those times of sharing sharing our culture were amazing and a lot of the other things that we learned were you know being officers of Kajahin dancers, learning Robert's rules, learning how to, you know, run for office or doing banking or doing, like I, like I said, those were life le- a lot of life lessons along with the culture. When we were growing up, we had many elders coming to the A&B. You know, Charlie was definitely the, the, the lead on instructing the boys. And then we had many women that were helping with the women. But there would be times when we'd have 12, 14 elders sitting down watching us practice and coming and helping and talking to us. And, you know, when you're young, you think they're always going to be there. Mm -hmm. You don't think that you're going to be losing elders along the way. We had so many. I mean, you know, for me as a a male dancer, Charlie was there. Ray Nielsen came and and taught for a while off and on. Um, Henry Benson came and taught, you know, Joe Howard came. You know, we we had different people coming and working with us and talking with us. And the knowledge that they had, and they were willing to share it every time. You know, the one story I I always talked about Charlie was, Isabel would get so mad at him because he wouldn't cash his checks. Mm Mm-hmm. He always had his, his hearing aid in his front pocket. I don't know if you, were, mm-hmm. you probably remember he had a cord going. That's where. Well, inside there was his checks. Mm-hmm. So they'd pay him. And he'd put his check in there, and he'd keep them there. He wouldn't cash them, and, and our accountant, Georgia Kite, would get upset because it would make her books off. Mm-hmm. And then Isabel like, you have to go cash these checks. <laughs> but that just showed that Charlie didn't care about getting paid for teaching. Mm-hmm. He was just happy to be teaching, mm-hmm. you know. I don't know how many checks he piled up into his pocket before <laughs> he finally would go cash them. But 
all the elders that came, you know, that we had come to help us, you know, Annie Dick coming down and, and uh, she was tough on those girls, but mm-hmm. she, she wanted it to be right, mm-hmm. just like everybody else. And, and I remember some of our practices were so intense. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, we would practice, do it again, do it again. And, you know, the, the Gajahin, you know, original dancers, we always tease each other, do it again, mm-hmm. do it again, because we would come out. And then they go, nope, go back in there, do it again. You didn't do it right. Come on out. Nope, do it again. And I'm like, oh, my. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I need to go to the back of the line because mm-hmm. being at the front of the line, you keep coming in and have to start over. Yeah. And there was a lot of elders that came in from uh, other communities. Uh, Walter Babe uh, Williams Dave came Williams. in as a storyteller. A lot of the elders from Haynes, Huna, Angoon. Austin Hammonds. Like, yeah. You know, Matthew Fred. Yeah, we, we were lucky to have as many elders back then that, that were able to come and talk to us mm-hmm. and uh, and tell stories. You know, Babe Williams was one of the best storytellers I've ever been mm-hmm. around. Yep. And, uh, and so we got to listen to them. And, you know, we had people that were involved in, in Sea Alaska, you know, Mr. Demert and others that would come in and talk to us about business and about education. You know, it wasn't all about culture a lot Mm. of it was about what are you going to do after this where Mm. are you going to go with your education where are you going to do you know and it puts that in your mind when you're young to start thinking about it Mm -hmm. you know and I I think uh, for me it helped me start thinking when I was younger what do I want to do where do Mm -hmm. I want to go and having those people to talk to and when you run into them on the ferry you know Alaska is a small state but southeast back then our, our ferry system used to be you know, where we always traveling on, and mm-hmm. you would always run into elders on the ferry, oh, yeah. and you could just sit down and talk and share and listen, mm-hmm. you know, and it's tough now when, you know, Dastia is getting up there in age, Herman Herman Davis getting up there in age, you know, we're, we're losing our elders, you mm-hmm. know, and, you know, and Lillian's going to be our next elder. <laughs> Well, I remember growing up with my experiences with the elders coming in and talking to us uh, in this similar fashion. They would I specifically remember one elder, and I can't remember who it was, but I remember them getting down in front of all of us and pointing their finger at us, all of us, and they were saying, and your kids are going to be the next ones. You've got to listen right now because you're going to be the next ones. Didn't know what that meant, really. I'm 16 going, whatever. Yeah. Now it's like hitting me at almost 50 going, they were right. We're going to be the next elders. We're almost there. And did we listen good enough? Boy, I don't think I did. I wish I did. But uh, And then to my own experience with the AD cook, uh, Isabella Brady, I remember, and you guys probably heard it all the time too, probably more than me, it's like, she'd always say, what's initiative? What does that mean? And we're all like, I don't know what that means. What does that mean? So more than just our cultural stuff, but she was trying to teach us a lesson. Like, It means to do something without being told to do it. If you see a mess on the ground and you didn't do it, clean it up. You know, those little basic things, boy, went a long ways. And I can still hear her saying it in my head right now. And I teach that to my kids. So a lot of those life lessons like you were talking about, Lillian, are applicable today. Yeah, to add to that is that when we started the program, when we would have food or even just coffee and tea for the elders, we were taught. You go walk around and ask the elders if they need any coffee. Do they need sugar? Mm-hmm. Do they need cream? Do they want tea? 
and you go dish them up a plate if there's food there and you bring it to them and you know they kept putting it in our head uh -huh. they shouldn't have to ask you you should just get up and you see that needs to be done uh -huh. you see a mess clean it up dishes need to be done everything needs to be done and uh respect respect was always um taught to us too and all the places we traveled like barrow and different places i remember they had like a a feast for us when we first arrived and a lot of us kids were like looking at the whale blubber like not wanting to eat it and and it's just like we were taught you well eat it and you well try it and you well respect their culture their way of life and so i think from this program too you you try to remember so many things there was lots of other programs that were born because of what we went mm -hmm. through and started here it started this this was the seed that was planted for many other communities yeah the AB to me still when i walk in it just makes me mm. smile i'm happy there i just I feel, feel comfortable like there you know and, and and it's funny is it used to look so big to me when i was mm -hmm. dancing now i look at it so small you know mm -hmm. but i have so many fond memories of all the different times we danced there practicing mm -hmm. you know i one of my fondest stories of growing up there was Charlie was getting up in age and he didn't dance very often he mainly song called and I don't even remember what the event was but we were getting ready to enter and he walks in and he walks past me and he goes gets in line behind me to do entrance and I went wow. I'm looking back going wow. looking back at him going oh my wow and so when I'm dancing out I, I'm not looking at the audience like I normally do when I'm dancing. I've got my body turning. I'm watching, waiting for Charlie to come out. And here he comes dancing on out. And, uh, you know, instead Holy. of paying attention to the audience and, and looking forward and dancing, I was too busy watching him <laughs> because I hadn't seen him dance for a lot of years. And uh, and so, you know, that was one of those memories where I, you know, I, I'll never forget seeing him dance. You know, he was 80. I think he was 81, 82 at the time. He comes in dancing, his knees are bent, and he's dancing hard and singing, and I'm like, oh. I would have stopped what I would do in Dead in My Tracks just to watch him. Yeah. But I was much younger, so I barely remember. I remember them, him and Annie Joseph, but uh, I wasn't fortunate enough to to really reap the benefits of talking with him directly because I was so young. Yeah. But now I do because of... The preservation that Isabella and, and Grandpa Charlie insisted upon recording the history and the songs and the knowledge of the of everything that he knew, uh, and he would say, and in his humble way that I've heard it said, he only knew the surface of what his elders knew, but he knew a lot. And I remember a story that Dostia Ethel Mackinnon told us when I was a, 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 a instructor with them. She used to say, "Well, my dad used to always say to all of us." He was talking about herself, my late Auntie Vita Davis, Ann Johnson, Alice Williams, and some of it, and Nellie Lord, he would say to them in Tlingit, he'd say, you better ask me questions now because you're not going to be able to stand over my grave and ask me those, these questions. So they asked lots of questions and they recorded. Now we have all these vaulted uh, recordings that we share with our listeners today. And because of that, we're very fortunate, you know, and I know that for myself personally, I would not be, and I tell this to everybody, I would not be where I am today without the sick and native education program. There's no way, there's no way I'd be doing what I'm doing because of the things that were taught to us from our elders by Isabella 
and, and everybody that put time and energy into the program. So I'm very grateful for the Second Native Education Program, as well as all of you. So if we go back just a little bit, um, as I said, Charlie is my grandfather. Annie is my grandmother. They were in an arranged marriage. And so um, they survived a plane crash. And it's in one of our books that was written by Richard and Nora Downhauer, Life Stories. Mm-hmm. And uh, my grandfather never knew why his life was spared because in that plane crash, the pilot died. He had pulled my grandmother to the wing, and she was just like, and fling it to him, you better go get the pilot and bring him out. I don't remember if he was already... He was still alive when they brought him out. Still alive when they brought him out. But he figured it was after that time that he started teaching at the Sick and Native Education Program that that's why his life was spared. He always told us, don't ever act like you know everything because you learn until the day you die. He, you know, a lot of our elders had, you know, vast knowledge, and some of them were stingy, you know, to go to their graves with that knowledge. Um, you know, the Aleut series, that was something that was gifted to the Aleut people um, because a lot of them lost their culture where, and I, I can't tell this whole story, but, you know, they gifted them songs that we had here in our songbook. I'd like to reintroduce our guests in the studios today. We have Lillian Young and Larry Garrity, who are original Kajahin dancers, and we're talking to them about the origins of Sick and Native Education Program and what they would like to share with us as listeners about their experiences there. But I'd like to ask them both a question to summarize. Why is Sick and Native Education Program important today? If either one of you would like to start, I'd like to hear your opinions on why is it important today? It's hard to summarize just in a little bit, but I think the importance of it is it is it grew successful students and made a lot of people who they are today. Um, I can name um, a lot of... Uh, it probably wouldn't have given those kids the confidence to do the things that they did in life or to know who they were. So many kids that nowadays, you know, um, when they listen to us talk about the program, they said, wow, I never knew that it was that amazing. Never knew that that was available. I believe that if it hadn't been for the program, you would have had a lot of kids, you know, I think it helped the dropout rate. I believe it just kind of gave confidence to our kiddos and I don't know who I would be today without that program. That's how much it meant to me. It just gave me everything of who I am today. Yeah, for me, it it was it was something to be proud of. I was proud of my heritage. I was proud of my culture. I could walk through the village and see and and talk to the elders, and I was felt proud. I was really proud. And that started to give me more and more confidence. As a young person, I didn't have a lot of confidence when I was younger. It started making me stronger, making me feel more confident and more proud of where I came from. And there was a sense of belonging. You know, I could have a bad day at school, bad day at home. I go into that A&B hall, surrounded by my sisters and brothers and 
they'd lift you up. You'd hear that drum beat, mm -hmm. and you'd hear the songs. All of a sudden, your chest pops up. You're you're ready to dance. You're ready to sing, mm -hmm. and it just gave you a lot of a lot of pride, you know. And, and we had a tutoring program. You know, a lot of us had to use that tutoring program to get through school. It helped a lot of us, you know. And and like Lillian said, it really reduced our our dropout rate, you know. And, and even the kids that didn't dance that were native, you could see them watching us, and they were proud. That made them proud also we lifted them up and i think we helped them along through school so i think it's really relevant today is that we still need this program we need it to flourish we need more kids to be involved to help our native children move up mm -hmm. and be proud and, and get stronger and help help their cousins help their friends and bring everybody along because that's what it did for us mm -hmm. you know and then like you said, and Lance, I don't know where I'd be without this program. You know, I'd be scared to think about where I'd be without yeah. the program. Isabella pushed us hard. Charlie pushed us in a different way. But they kept pushing us in the same direction. Mm -hmm. And it really helped me to be the man that I am and the things that I've accomplished. I always look back and it's smile. Mm -hmm. You know, and so I hope this program can continue to flourish and get bigger and stronger. I'd like to just add that for those of our listeners that don't know too much about Sitka Native Education Program, I know Larry talked about it very briefly, but Grandpa Charlie put his neck out there for the younger people because it wasn't a thing that was done long ago where you would teach multiple different clans, different clan songs, because usually you would only teach your clan songs to your clan members, and he was teaching other clan songs to multiple different clan children in the program, which was unheard of. That's why there was so much flack for getting this program out there. And once you said he explained it and listened to everybody, people were like, yes, we need to preserve our culture. Our culture is dying. We need to do whatever we can. And I remember uh, Isabella used to refer to my grandmother, Elizabeth Basco, when she said she saw the young people paddling in that canoe when they taught us touchy all how to paddle in the canoe with the canoe series, she said it was just like watching them paddle for their very lives. And that's what we're all doing. We're continuing to move forward the way Grandpa and Isabella pushed us forward. And we're going to keep that canoe going forward. And they used to say, you're going to hear our voices in the wind. You're going to hear us. And even when we sing our clinket songs, there are times where I can hear them. So it's very powerful. And uh, I'd like to leave it at that. Gunachish for coming into the studio and sharing with us the beautiful things that you shared with all of us regarding Sick and Native Education Program, the late Isabella Brady, the late Charlie Joseph Sr. and their, their teaching. Gunachish, thank you. This next song that you'll be hearing, it comes from what we refer to as the Qunana, the interior native people, uh, inland of the Yakutat area, which are probably like the Yukon people and the uh, Yellowknife people, the Teslin, Carcross, the interior people that were traded with. There was a lot of trade done between the certain tribe that owns it, which is the Qanakhtedi, which is the Raven Frog tribe of Tlaquan. These songs were traded uh, long ago and were brought down 
uh, through the many different clans in Southeast Alaska. The Qanakhtedi own these songs, but the song that you're going to hear is what they refer to as a coming-in song. It is a song that was used to dance in on, and the late Charlie Joseph Sr. is singing it with the young people in the early 1970s, and this was recorded on the old reel-to-reels. I hope that you enjoy this song, and this is what they call the Qunana coming-in song. Now, coming-in song. Oh, 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 This next audio clip is also from the Sick Native Education Program archives. Isabella Brady and Mr. Charlie Joseph Sr. are talking with Kauduk Etla Vida Davis about the also the structure of how the songs are important. And Isabella emphasizes that the students need to know what they're singing about as translated into English. So the importance of that and then the structure of how the songs and dances are going to be laid out in the public so that people could see what the young people have been learning. I hope that you enjoy this audio footage. Of course, they're on the deep water now. Mm-hmm. I think that's going to make a lot of difference to the kids if they know what they're singing about. That's just like you said, you I, pick your language That's why I try to, yeah. to tell them down there all the time. Even the songs, whenever it's now. You know, this old city last night, I try to tell them, see, the words of it. And the only thing, too, they can't catch on it is the tune. That's the tune we all started out with. Now, hey, hey, ah, ah, he, ah, he, I can't change this. Ah, hey, hey, ah, ah, they all be the same. The way it started up to the end. That's the way that that goes. But the old racer ones, they knows. This is why we have this program, Charlie, yeah. so the little kids can learn yeah. who they are. Uh-huh. Try to learn respect and understand that it's not that they. 
want to be disrespectful, they don't understand. You know, I think this is real important to. I'm hoping this will help if we can tell them more. Thanks for joining us to learn from our grandparents' teachings. Stay tuned next month to join for more stories, songs, and traditional ways of living. If you would like to hear previous episodes, search Our Grandparents' Teachings anywhere you find podcasts. If you have a story you would like to share, please reach out at storytelling at kcaw.org. We'd love to hear from you. Technical support for this show was made possible in part with funding from the Rasmussen Foundation, administered by the Alaska State Council of the Arts, Art Change Inc., and the Sitka Tribe of Alaska. Thank you.